John chapter 6. So last week, Jesus was in that pink star, Bethsaida. He fed 5,000 men, 12,000 people probably with one guy's lunch, five loaves of bread, and two fish, and so everybody wants to make him the king. Uh, he withdraws to the mountain because he doesn't want to become the king. That way he, he disperses the crowd. He, his disciples get in a boat, and they row across the Sea of Galilee. They're going to Capernaum, that yellow star. In the middle of the night, probably about three in the morning, Jesus joins them on the boat. He walks on water, a couple, uh, probably three miles, long way to walk on the water. He walks on the water, and he meets them at the boat. And when he gets in the boat, immediately the boat is at the other side. Uh, it's in Capernaum. The next day, so let's say that happens on a Friday. Next day, Saturday, Sabbath day, Jesus is in Capernaum with his disciples, and everybody who was in Bethsaida, they wake up and they're looking for him because they're hungry. It's breakfast time and they're looking for Jesus to provide a meal for them. And so people start looking for him. And they realize he's not in Bethsaida and so they assume he's in Capernaum. And so they take their boats and they, they row across the Sea of Galilee as well. And they meet Jesus, not all 12,000 of them, some version of them, meet Jesus in the synagogue, so in a, in a church and they have this conversation with him about bread. And that's where we're going to pick up today. It's a bit of the deep end of the swimming pool. We're going to do the best we can uh, to wade through it together. So starting in verse 25, when they found him that some version of the crowd that had been fed the day before on the other side of the lake in Capernaum, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, not because I fed all of you, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do, don't, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him, on the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God required? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's the most important verse today. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked Jesus, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So we'll pause there. So I think at this point, there's no hostility. There's just genuine confusion. And we've seen this before. Jesus is speaking on a metaphorical and spiritual level, and the people are speaking on a literal and physical level. We saw it with Nicodemus when Jesus said, you must be born again, and he said, I can't climb back in my mother's womb. We saw it with the woman at the well when Jesus offered her living water, and she, he, she, she thought he meant a spring, a literal spring, so she wouldn't have to keep going to a well uh, to draw water for her family. This time, the, the confusion is over bread. They're thinking about the food they ate yesterday, and Jesus is thinking about the provision that God wants to give them spiritually. And so they, they come up to him. There's three questions they ask, and they say, Jesus, when did you get here? And he said, you don't care. Like, that's, you don't care when I got here. What you want to know is if I'm going to feed you. I fed you yesterday. You're hungry. You want breakfast. Rather than doing all the work that you did, trying to find me and then sailing across this lake, rather than doing all of that for breakfast, why don't you do that for food that lasts? for food that's eternal, for food that's spiritual. And they say, that's great, we'll take that. We'll take that food. 
what must we do to do the works that God requires? That's a very Jewish response. The Jewish understanding is that God is looking for obedience, and we remain in right relationship with him based on that obedience. So they're thinking Jesus is going to give them a list. Here's some things that you can do. And what he says instead is, well, here, this is the work. This is the work God requires. You believe in me. Believe in the one that he sent. They weren't expecting that. Again, they were expecting the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws in the Old Testament or those 613 plus the hundreds of laws the rabbis had wrapped around those 613 rules. They were expecting some version of that. Do these things. They certainly weren't expecting believe in me. And, and so they said, well, you've got to prove that. That's not what we were expect, expecting. That's not what we've heard for hundreds of years. What we've heard for hundreds of years is what God is looking for is perfect obedience. You're telling us to believe and so you've got to prove it. What sign can you give us so that we'll know what you're saying is true? Moses gave our ancestors manna in the desert for 40 years. What, can you, what are you going to do? Are you going to top that? Moses, who gave us all of the rules, he, he gave us manna for 40 years. And Jesus, well, actually, it wasn't Moses. It was my father. It was God that gave you that bread. And he's going to continue to give you bread today. And then in verse 34, they say, well, give us this bread. Always, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me, and still you don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in the Son shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So they say, we want this bread, and they're thinking of what they ate yesterday, and Jesus says, I, I, I'm the bread. I'm talking about me, which would be confusing for them. This is the first, they're called I am statements because Jesus says, I am. There's seven of those in John, remember the point of John, he says, everything I wrote, I wrote so that you would believe that, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that believing in him, you'd have life in his name. And one of the ways he reveals Jesus to us is through the signs. And we have to draw some conclusions. So Jesus fed 5,000 people. So what conclusions can we draw about his identity? He turns water into wine. What conclusions can we draw about his identity? He heals a guy who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. What conclusions can we draw about his identity? These I am statements are more direct. They're still a metaphor. He's not literally bread, but they're more direct. And we don't really have a great equivalent to I am the bread of life. If, if we were Asian, we may say I'm the rice of life. It's a staple food. We don't really have one of those. We may say where we live, I'm the, I'm the high fructose corn syrup of life. I don't know what our thing is that's a part of every meal. We don't really have one. But that's what he's saying. Like this bread that you ate yesterday and that you eat every day and that sustains you physically, I'm that spiritually. That's what I am. I'm that important. I'm that staple item for your heart. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. And they're, they're confused. And they move from confusion to escalating hostility. Now they start to grumble a little bit. At this, this statement... The Jews there began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, 
Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? This happened in Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. This is in Capernaum. His hometown is 20 miles away. They know his parents. They're saying, we know, we, we know Joseph. We know Mary. You didn't come down from heaven. You came from Nazareth, 20 miles down the road. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they'll all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from the Father comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Jesus is talking about himself there. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So he's, he's losing the room at this point. So he's gone from bread, I am the bread, to the bread is my body, it's my flesh, and I've given it for the life of the world, which is, I mean, that's, it's moving towards cannibalism, because they're hearing him literally. They're not getting that he's speaking spiritually and metaphorically. They think he's talking literally. They're upset because he said he came from heaven, and they said, no, you came from down the road. And then when he continues to move in that same direction, he continues down that same path, and he's even increasing the the, uh, the offensiveness of his language, they're getting more and more upset. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they're thinking literally. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am them, just as a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So that's just... that's. That's crazy. If, you were, if somebody stood up here and said stuff like that, you wouldn't listen to them. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And to a Jew, it's not just crazy, it's offensive because blood is sacred. They're not even allowed to eat meat that has blood in it, much less drink the blood of a person. It, it doesn't make any sense. For he, again, he's lost the whole room at this point. We'll see next week he wonders if he's even lost his disciples. I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get them to see, and they, they can't. What he's trying to, to do by using this graphic and offensive language is to shake them out of their understanding. that their, their belief, and it's been passed on for hundreds of years, is God is looking for this perfect obedience. He's looking for you to behave in a certain way, for you to follow a certain list of rules. And he's saying, time out, that's not it. What he's looking for you is to trust me, to believe in me, and you're going to have life if you do that. And they can't hear him. And so he's using this increasingly graphic and increasingly offensive language to try to shock them into a new understanding. You can, if you can see this, the print is kind of small, but it's the best I can do. 
everything he says is really just one thing. He's, just, he's, he's hitting it from multiple angles. What he's trying to say is, the work of God is for you to believe in me. And if you believe in me, then you'll be reconciled to God. If you want to be in, the, in a right relationship with God, the key to that is to believe in me. And he calls himself lots of things. He calls himself the son, the son of man, the bread, bread from heaven, the bread of life. Those are all different ways of Jesus referring to himself. Believe, and he uses, he uses come to me. He uses feed on me. He uses eat he, my flesh. He uses drink my blood. Those are different ways of saying trust. That's all he's saying. You've got to trust me. And the result of that will be salvation or eternal life or never being hungry or never being thirsty or being raised up at the last day or remaining in me and me remaining in you. Different ways of saying the same thing. All he's trying to do is to get them to see this physical bread and fish that you ate yesterday, what you ate on Friday. That's just that that's an analogy. That's a physical analogy to this spiritual reality. You are hungry after just a few hours of eating that food. You're already back for more. Rather than working so hard just to fill your stomach, believe in me and you'll never be spiritually hungry again. You can live forever. This is food that will last. You don't have to work for it. You just have to trust me. Very difficult for the Jews to get their minds around what Jesus is saying there's some deep truths that he's woven in the weeds of all of these metaphors. What, he's, what he begins by saying is, is God takes initiative in drawing us to him. We call that provenient grace. It's grace that goes before. It's grace that we receive before we become Christians. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you and he works in you. Before that, you can maybe think of the Holy Spirit as outside of you and working on you, not in you, but on you. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and guilt and righteousness. What he's trying to do, the Holy Spirit, is, is help us recognize our need for Jesus, our need for a Savior. And, and, and one, of the reason, one of the ways he does that is he convicts us of our sin. We recognize our sinfulness and we realize I need somebody to take care of the sin because I can't do it myself. I'm, I'm, I'm being crushed under the weight of the guilt of what I've done. And if there's a way out that I'm I want to take it. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says nobody comes to him unless the Father draws them. And that's actually kind of a violent word. It's, that word draw is actually drag. It's, what you would, uh, it's a word used for dragging a net through the water to bring fish in. And I don't think it's, it's violent in terms of it, it, it's not. To me, it shows the, the, uh, the intensity and the intention of the Father. He's not indifferent to people who don't know him. He's actively seeking to draw them into a relationship with himself. And we may say, well, well, if that's true, if according to 1 Timothy, God desires everybody to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to die. And we see that, well, he's drawing people to Jesus. And that's this strong word of fishing and catching a net. And the fish kind of don't really have a say-so in whether they're in the net or not. Does that mean we can just sit back and relax? Because eventually everybody is going to be drawn to Jesus, and everybody is going to be saved. And unfortunately, we know that's not true. We know there are people who die apart from him. And Jesus talks about that here a little bit. He, he, he modifies or qualifies this idea of being drawn or being dragged uh, to him by saying everybody who, 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 who comes to me, they, they learn from the Father. 
they hear the Father and they, and they learn from him. And unfortunately, there are people who just aren't willing to do that. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 says, In the day of salvation, don't harden your heart. We're drawn to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but we can dig in our heels and we can refuse to come. God draws everybody to Jesus, but unfortunately, some people say, I'm not interested. He invites everybody into a relationship, but unfortunately, some people say, I'm going to reject that invitation. I'm fine on my own. We harden our hearts to that. Sometimes you hear people talk about the tugging of the Holy Spirit in their life. Maybe you've experienced that, and it can feel very powerful, but you can still say no. You can choose to stay in your chair or Again, just kind of metaphorically dig your heels in and say, I'm not, I'm not responding to that drawing from the Lord. It's, it's unfortunate, but it, it happens. And the reason it does, why doesn't God just make us all come in? Because he's looking for relationship, and relationship that's forced is not real relationship. What, he's, what he wants is for us to be reconciled to him. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, to remove the barrier that keeps us from relating rightly to God. So that barrier has been removed, so now the invitation could be extended. And what he's saying is yes or no. And he's not passive in that. Again, that picture of him drawing us to Jesus. But we can resist. What he's looking for from us is faith. This is the work of God, to believe in the one that he sent. And faith, or belief, it's trust. I think that's a better word for us. When we hear believe, we think of what we know. That's not New Testament understanding of belief. It's not intellectual. It's relational. Not what you know, but who do you trust? Where are you putting the weight of your life? And it's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing reality. That's what God is looking for from us, is this relationship with him, this ongoing trust in him, and then this great promise that he gives, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I'm never going to drive them away. That's, a, that's active. I'm never going to do anything to kick them out. I'm never going to break up with them. I'm never going to divorce them. I'm also never going to lose anybody the Father gives me. I'm not going to wake up one day and say, where, where did you go? If anyone who comes to me, I'm, I'm able to keep them. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Angels can't, demons can't, life can't, death can't, nothing can. Nothing external can separate us, can divide us, can remove us from relationship with Jesus. Again, think of the idea of, of marriage. It takes two people to make a marriage. It only takes one person to get a divorce. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm never going to be the one that asks for a divorce. If you come to me, then you're with me. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to drive you away. I'm never going to lose you. And nothing can separate me from, or you from, your, from my love for you. Nothing. The only thing that can cause any of that to go south is you if you choose to walk away. Just like in a marriage. You can choose to leave it. Doesn't matter how much your spouse wants a marriage to work. If you're out, you're out. It only takes one. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm never going to be the one. You may be the one, but it's never going to be me. There's confidence, there's assurance, there's security there. If you come to him, he's not going to lose you, and he's not going to drive you away. He's going to keep you, and he's able to keep you through eternity. Some people call that persevering grace or preserving grace. It's this grace that sustains us over life and into the next life. 
a beautiful picture. I hope it encourages you. This is just something, maybe food for thought, may not be helpful to you at all. I was thinking about these guys, and they come to Jesus because they're hungry, and they want their physical needs met. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. He'd fed them the day before, and I think he was happy to. I think he'd feed them again, and I think he'd be happy to. What he doesn't want is them assuming that his primary concern is their stomach. He doesn't want them falling into this trap of thinking the only thing Jesus cares about is whether or not we're fed. The priority for him is the spiritual. That's not where most of us live. For most of us, if we're hungry, we don't pray. We go to the store and we buy food because we can do that. We don't live in a place where we're consciously aware of our need for Jesus to put food on the table. There are other people in other parts of the world where that's their reality. It's not ours. But one a parallel trap that I think we can fall into is we can go to Jesus because we want him to help us navigate this life well. That's what we want. We want Jesus to, to bless us and to help us do well here. And I think that's good, and I think he's fine to help us do well here. But I think there are times where he wants to remind us that his primary concern is not that we do well here, but that we're being well prepared for eternity. He would rather us be well prepared for his kingdom than to thrive in this kingdom, if that makes sense. You don't always have to choose. Jesus can give a loaf of bread and spiritual bread. But sometimes you do have to choose. We can navigate this world well and be prepared for the next world, but sometimes we can't do both at the same time. Sometimes the values of this world come into conflict with the values of the kingdom of God. Sometimes the, the, the things Jesus wants to work in us run counter to what the, the things that our world values and would want to work into us. Not always, but at times. It's, it, it can be tricky living with eternity in mind as we're approaching the end of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's. Sometimes we're more reflective. That's kind of a reflective time, looking back and looking forward. And I just want to encourage you as you enter this these next six weeks, my, my hope is that you would do so with a bit of an eternal perspective. It's not that God doesn't want to help you navigate this life well. That's just not his primary concern. His primary concern is to prepare you for the next life. And again, it, they're not always in conflict, but sometimes they are. Um, one of the things that I do that helps me, and this may not help you at all, with that eternal perspective, because this is where we live. I can't get my mind around eternity, is I think in terms of time. There's this group, they're called Answers in Genesis. So they're the most conservative people I've ever met in my life. And they say the earth is 6,000 years old. That's it. The earth is 6,000 years old. You may believe that. They're called young earth people. 6,000 years, I can kind of get my mind around that a little bit better than eternity. Now think about my life. And as a U.S. citizen, a U.S. man, my life expectancy is 79 years. I'm 43. I've got 36 left. So I think about 6,000 years. That's how long the earth has been here at the most conservative. And I've got 79 years. So I think about that. And so my life compared to the lifespan of the earth is not much. And then I try to think about forever in my life. And I think, well, what if forever is just 6,000 years? It's not. But what if it was? And, and I make that a day. It's 24 hours. And then my 79 years becomes 19 minutes. You've already been sitting. You've been listening to me for 19 minutes. You've wasted your whole life. 
Sorry. That's all you get. What if all we have is 19 minutes? That helps me. That helps me when I think about some of the pressures to succeed here that may come into conflict with preparation for there. And I think let's, if, my, if I have to choose to lose for 19 minutes in order to win for 23 hours and 41 minutes, that's an easy choice for me. If I have to choose to struggle for 19 minutes to thrive for 23 hours, that's an easy choice for me. If I have to choose to say no to certain things that other people may value for 19 minutes in order to say yes to things Jesus values for 23 hours, that's easy for me. Becomes easier at least. I don't know if that helps you at all. Uh, I went to the University of Georgia. I remember my freshman year, uh, fall, I, and where I, I lived off campus. In order to get to campus, I walked by the baseball field. And in the fall, they were doing tryouts for the baseball team, and it was the walk-on tryouts. So these were the guys who were fighting for the last couple of spots on the team. They already had the scholarship guys and the preferred walk-ons. This was just an open tryout. I'd read about it in the little campus paper or something. I remember walking by, and this is in the fall. So just six months ago, these guys were in high school, and I was thinking, I bet every one of them was the best kid on their team. I bet every single one of those guys was the best kid on their team. I bet there are MVPs out there. There's probably all county players who are fighting for the last one or two spots on this Georgia bench. And it made me think about the things that I had been, and I loved high school, and there's nothing wrong with any of it, but I just remember thinking, like, it, it didn't matter anymore. Like, it didn't matter that those guys were MVPs six months ago. It didn't matter that they were all county. Their stats didn't matter. And I remember thinking, like, nobody ever asked me what my class rank was or my SAT score was. Nobody cared. These things that people had said, this is important, and work towards that, and that's okay. Suddenly, when I got to college, it didn't matter anymore. Nobody asked, and I'm 43, and certainly no, nobody cares now. And they don't, and I don't either. And I, sometimes I think, like, when, we're in the, when, when I die and I'm in heaven or the kingdom of God, I don't think anybody's going to ask me what I did for a living. I don't know that anybody's going to ask me how much money I made. I don't know if they're going to ask me those kind of questions. It, it's okay. It's just not eternal. And so, it, it, again, it, for me, trying to think about, am I coming to him just to say, help me succeed now? Am I coming to him saying, just bless my life now? Or am I willing to come to him and say, prepare me for eternity I'd love for you to bless me now and for you to help me navigate well now. I'm not looking to struggle and suffer. But if I have to struggle and suffer for 19 minutes in order to be well prepared for 23 hours, I'll take that deal all day long. Some of you are parents. Are you preparing your kids more for now or for then? Are you preparing them? Are you putting more in the 19 minutes that they're here than the 23 hours that they're not? It's not, don't hear that as guilt. It's just, it's perspective. And we lose it because we can't see forever. We can't get our mind around that. We can't see the kingdom of God. And because we can't see and we can't conceive, it's easy to fall in the trap of just trying to navigate this life well. And again, you don't always have to choose, but sometimes you do have to choose. It's, 
Jesus is priority. Just like he would say to those guys, I'm happy to give you bread. That's, the issue is not whether I'm going to give you bread. I just did that yesterday. The issue is don't work so hard for that if you're missing believing in me. And I think he would say the same thing to us. Don't work so hard for this that you're missing being ready for that. Let's take a minute and pray if we could. So we'll, have, um, we'll pray with you about anything that you have going on, but two specific invitations. One, if you would say, and this is a hard thing to admit, but I want to encourage you to be bold. If you would say this, uh, this morning that you're resisting the Holy Spirit, I would love for you to let us pray for you in that area, to submit and to yield. That could be in a relationship. There may be a relationship. God's saying, hey, you need to submit this thing to me. You're holding on to something, and I'm wanting you to let go of it. It may be a decision that's in front of you. I don't know. That idea of yielding to him. Last week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac, and it could be that you've got this thing that you're holding on to very tightly, and God's saying, I, I need that. I need you to submit that to me. It doesn't mean he's necessarily going to take it away, but you've got to be willing for him to do so. Are you willing to yield to him? You don't want to harden your heart. And you may think, well, it's just this one area. The other 12 areas of my life, I'm submitted. It doesn't work that way. Your heart is, it's a whole. And if you're it, whole with the W, W-H-O-L-E, and if you're resisting God in one area, that kind of bleeds all the way over into every other area. Your heart doesn't just stay hard in this one spot. It'll begin to harden all the way around. You don't want to do that. So I want to encourage you this morning. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit? If so, let's pray for God to give you grace to yield. I know that can be very difficult and that can be scary, particularly if he's asking you to trust him with something or to, to release something that's very important to you. That can be hard to do. We want to pray for God to give you the grace to do that. The second thing, Thanksgiving's coming up on Thursday, and for some of you, you're not looking forward to it. You don't like the people you're going to eat with, and so that's not, you're not, in, not going to enjoy it. And we want to pray for God to help you. It may be that uh, this will be the first Thanksgiving you spend without somebody you love. Somebody died this year, and that's, it's, it's, you're dreading Thanksgiving a little bit. And we want to pray for you, just that God would be with you and meet you on that day, that you wouldn't feel alone, and that he would comfort you and give you grace if you're dealing with people who are difficult, whatever that looks like. We, just, we don't want you to dread this week. So those two things in, in particular, we'll pray with you about anything, but those two things in particular. So let me say a prayer. Uh, if you're helping with ministry, if you'd come forward, that'd be great. God, I pray for each one of us. I pray we would have an eternal perspective, our students, the adults in the room, the kids in the room. If 19 minutes helps, then that's great. If it's something else for each person that you would help each one of us in whatever ways we need help to recognize the vastness and the greatness of what's in front of us compared to the transitory nature of our life here on this earth. Not that our life here doesn't matter. It matters tremendously. And one of the reasons it matters tremendously and the main reason it matters tremendously is because it prepares us for the next one. And we don't want to lose that. So would you give us grace to realize we're flowers and grass that fade quickly. Incredibly precious to you, but a life that's incredibly brief. We don't need to go scrambling to do a whole bunch of stuff to fill the time, but to make choices that reflect the greatness of eternity in light of the smallness of this 
present world. So help us, God, as we move towards Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, that we would do so with an eternal mindset. God, I pray for those who are actively resisting you this morning, who are, whose hearts are hard. You're tugging Holy Spirit, and they're saying, I just can't. I can't say yes. They're scared. They don't believe. They're I, Whatever it is. God, I pray for grace for them to submit that relationship, to submit that decision, to submit even their own their their lives to you. Got to pray for those who for Thanksgiving is not a, a joyful time as they look forward to Thursday. Got to pray you be with them. I pray you would encourage them now, and God, we pray that you would be with them very tangibly on Thursday. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and work in our hearts in Jesus' name, Amen. You guys can stand and come forward as you will. And uh, if you're not coming forward, you can worship with Bo and he'll dismiss us after this song.